Welcome to the CDW Gets Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Marquez, an education strategist for CDWG. Today, CDW Gets Assignments from a Distance. Going forward this fall semester, many schools are needing to teach students from a distance. How are we going to ensure they are receiving our assignments, receiving the instructions that they need, and also receiving the support to be able to complete their assignments? To help us on our discovery today, I am proud to introduce two of my fellow education strategists with CDWG, Jennifer Brown and Ari Flowelling. Please introduce yourselves. This is Jennifer Brown speaking. I'm a former educator from the Chicagoland area. My background, I have a master's in curriculum and instruction and a master's in educational technology leadership. So excited because now I can put that background to use helping both K-12 and high-ed districts with their educational technology initiatives. So very happy to be here today. Thank you, Jennifer. And Ari, what about yourself? Hi, everyone. Excited to be here as well. And I'm excited to speak with you today about planning for learning in a distance learning environment. Thank you both for being here today. Now, today we want to talk about how can teachers be successful in implementing an assignment workflow from a distance? Now, when we have students in class, we can easily check on our students and encourage them to complete the assignments. We can also, if using an LMS, point to where the assignments are located and then give additional details about the assignments that may confuse the students. But at a distance, all of those factors are skewed a little bit. We need to think a little bit more about what we're posting and how we are posting those. What are some other things we need to consider with this digital assignment workflow? A huge piece that's going to need to be considered is going to be that centralized place for families to find materials, for students to find materials. So one thing to keep in mind, if your campus or your district is already set up with an LMS, whether that be Blackboard, whether that be Canvas. You might be really strong in using Google Classroom or Microsoft Teams. We say if you feel very strong and confident in, in that platform already, absolutely continue to use that platform. We recommend start small. A good place to really start small would be to take a simple tool, for example, a Google Doc or a Microsoft Word document, and have that just be a central place where you can post announcements, where you can share links to assignments, and make it a living, breathing document that you're constantly updating. If you do choose to use the Google Doc, one of the really nice things is that your students don't need a Google account to see it. You can change permissions on there that way anybody that has the link can view it. They won't be able to make changes, but they'll be able to see what you posted. So that's something we absolutely recommend checking out. Jennifer, those are some absolutely fantastic ideas because it is absolutely essential that we as educators have a centralized location for parents to find and identify what their students need to do. We also need to make sure that districts are utilizing a single LMS. And what I mean by that is we can't allow teachers to either choose Microsoft Teams or Google Classroom and have students using different LMSs at different sites or in different classes. That's not only going to confuse students, but also confuse parents. So to make everything more streamlined, we need to make sure that a district is utilizing a single LMS so parents can easily identify what they need to look for in the classroom. Ari, do you have any suggestions for us as well? One good idea would be to 
have a topic that you keep at the top of your page that has your weekly schedule. So that way your students know when you'll be accessible and also any updates that are most important. Also, you can utilize the different assignment features along with due dates and scheduling of posts to keep students up to date with what's going on in the classroom. Now, Ari, we have a lot of districts coming out of this trial period of distance learning, and they've discovered that a lot of the students that were in their classes they were not engaging in the distance learning classes. They weren't engaging with the assignments. And I think some of them are fearing that if they are going to have to have a hybrid or distance learning student this come around in fall, that they're going to have some of the same issues. Are there any tips or tricks that you can give to teachers, give to educators to ensure that those students do remain engaged during the year in the fall? If you notice that students aren't currently engaging with your distance learning environment, that's a great opportunity to reach out to them either uh, and their parents either via email or a quick phone call. There might be something happening, maybe their device didn't work or their hotspot isn't working or maybe something happened in the family that's taken precedent. So take that opportunity to really do a, a social emotional check and offer support. Yes, Ari, we have to remember that our students were learning in a not very ideal environment and situation. But coming fall, it's going to be a more structured situation. But we always have to remember that there is a technology we have available to ourselves to contact those parents, and that is the telephone. Now, a lot of the reason that the students weren't engaging is because many of our local education agencies, for the benefit of the students weren't giving grades during this time. Now, they were giving them a grade, many were giving them a grade uh, from their February, and if they wanted to raise their grade, they can raise their grade during this time. But the students who had a grade that they liked, they didn't really have a reason to keep engaging. But coming in the fall, they will, and we will be giving grades to our students. And grades come from assessments. So. When districts start assessing again their students, how can they do this? What can they do? And, and what kind of advice can we give them to be assessing their students in this distance learning environment? It really depends on the situation that the distance learning is taking place in. If the distance learning is taking place as part of a long-term plan, that this is something that students, when they started off the year, they began with distance learning, or um, if it's an emergency snow day or some type of situation where it's thrust upon them suddenly and there hasn't been a large lead up to it, assessment is going to mean two very different things based on those two different scenarios. For many, many schools in general, we're finding that distance learning is happening in more of an abrupt way right now. And so because of that, educators, leadership in these institutions are having to reflect and say, what is assessment going to mean for us right now? What we've heard from many of our K-12 and high ed clients that we work with is, we're trying right now to provide a sense of stability for our students. We want to provide a sense of routine. We want them to continue being exposed to rigorous content. Routine and rigorous content are extremely important. And we have to remember, before assessment, there's always feedback. Now, giving feedback in the traditional classroom could range from 
writing on the paper, leaving a few notes in a Google Doc or a Microsoft document as well, or some verbal feedback by going over to the student. But in a distance learning environment, that feedback is going to have to be adjusted a little bit. Ari, can you talk to us a little bit about feedback in a distant or remote environment? Of course, we always know that feedback is definitely an important aspect of teaching and learning. So in distance learning, that's no different. So of course, traditional forms of feedback include annotating student content. But one thing that you can continue to do and add to that is use screencasting to record visual or audio feedback for your students. So that way, as a former English teacher, when I would read students' essays and I was marking them, a lot of times the notes that I'd want to write down, I'd put them in shorthand and they really wouldn't be useful to the student. But if I recorded myself as I was going through and grading the essay, it would be much easier for the students to understand the train of thought and the resources that I'm trying to support them with. And then also too, it's very important to let students know how can they reach out to you for feedback. If you find that your email inbox is getting overfilled and you're having trouble keeping track of emails from students, maybe let them know that on Fridays from 9 to 10, you'll be available via a web chat or you'll be monitoring a discussion post in your LMS of choice. So that way students, again, get that consistency and know where they can go to get help. Absolutely. Anxiety can be absolutely relieved when they know they can contact their instructor and get a response in a small amount of time. One of the things that I recommend is at the top of your LMS, having an area called 24-7 office hours. And this can be an asynchronous way to communicate with your students. One of my favorite ways to conduct these asynchronous office hours is by using the application Flipgrid. Flipgrid is a 100% free application, which is a video response system. Here, the students can record a message for you and ask their question. They can even screen record right out of the Flipgrid application to show you what they're having a difficult time with. And then you can respond to them when you have time with a verbal response or another screencast to show them how to fix this. I have seen this really relieve anxiety from students who feel like they don't have a connection with their instructor. And then building on that, it's important to make sure that through all of this, you're communicating with parents. It's nice to, whether it be, you know, once a week on Sundays, like Joe said, to just kind of send an update on what's happening and even to include some fun things for your students as well to reach out and to let parents know what's going on. A great example, again, is doing a one-minute video recap just to say this is what we did last week, this is how we're building on it this week. And also, too, I've seen a lot of schools um, go the extra mile and for their weekly webinars with students, they've been having spirit days. So things like that are also great to communicate to students and parents. One important thing to consider when you're communicating at home with parents is, of course, the home language that's spoken. Great tools like Google Translate and Microsoft Translator that can help you with that. Uh, just one note is I always put a little disclaimer at the end of my email saying this is translated with whichever translation tool I use in case there's any grammatical errors. Ari, I love that you keep bringing up the fact that we need to keep reaching out to our parents. They have a great grasp of what our students need and what they are lacking. So continuously trying to contact the parents should be a goal of ours. But what if our educators keep reaching out to the parents, 
but they're getting no response. What should we do then? Right now, distance learning might not be their number one priority. So I would encourage you to still try to engage with the family, but also recognize that, you know, maybe there's only one computer in the house and that's being used by a parent to work or it's an older sibling that's been tasked with helping their younger siblings do distance learning. So still continue to reach out and see if there's alternative ways that you can reach out either via the meal delivery or packet pickup. Um, but also to, uh, it's important to remember that we're all going through some difficult times and different families will handle that in different ways. But definitely let them know that you're there for them if, um, if they need you. Thank you, Ari. And I'm absolutely sure our educators are going to be keeping that on top of their mind. Now, one of the hardest things that our students and educators are going to go through when they are learning from home is the lack of that face-to-face -face contact. And that could kind of be detrimental to that collaboration piece. But collaboration is going to be incredibly important when it comes to learning here in the fall. What can we say about collaboration in the classroom, in our schools, on our campus, and in the district, and how can we maximize its effectiveness? When I'm thinking of collaboration with peers, it really is more educator to educator, um, especially if right now you're in a time where you're not getting that prep or that plan time that you might be used to, whether that's with a grade level partner, with your TAs, Maybe communication right now is just kind of scattered and all over the place. Something that I would absolutely highly, highly recommend is setting a scheduled time to meet. To have that anchor, that, that opportunity to get together, bounce ideas off, not just for lessons, but even for technology and tools. What are you using? What's working? What didn't work? Maybe it's not just a grade level partner or, or again, TAs, but a department meeting. Some time to be able to come together. I highly, highly recommend that that is done, if possible, through video. When you get that connection, whether it's you know, you're dressed up like your panelists are today, or maybe you're wearing your work from home outfit and that's gonna be a t-shirt and you have your mug of coffee. Just that opportunity to connect is so crucial and necessary for us, not just as professionals, but as people. There really is something to be said for that. Something else that can be helpful to create consistency for that collaboration with your peers is also going to be having a place where you can have a stream some type of constant chat that you have going on that at any type of day, think of it like your asynchronous prep time, if you will. Some hub where you can, oh my gosh, I found a great resource, throw in a link and it can stay there and live there for when someone who might be busy while you found it, they can go back now and have the opportunity to find that tool that you use. You'll have a nice archive of your conversation. Um, something that I personally used was Microsoft Teams for this. We were able to create a grade level channel. Um, that is something I would highly recommend because then you can link files. You can have a separate place for your chat. You can create different channels for different topics. So really exploring and finding a way to, again, at the very least, just find time once a week to meet. And if possible, get some type of stream going. 
And Jennifer, I know you love the Microsoft products and they are fantastic for peer collaboration and Microsoft Teams is great for video. But for our teachers and educators who utilize G Suite, is Google Meet a viable option for this as well? Definitely, and I think one of the best way to do that is since you're talking about time, is scheduling those Google Meets via Google Calendar. So that way um, you can even set it up as a repeating meeting so you don't have to put in each individual meeting time. So definitely Google Meets integrated with Google Calendar. I love those ideas because collaborating in Microsoft Teams and uh, Google Meet are some great places to have that peer collaboration. But I also find it's also great for a department to collaborate in a Google Classroom. And I mean by having everybody join a department-sided Google Classroom where they're all added in as co-teachers. And then when any teacher posts anything to their class, they don't only post to their class for their students, but they will co-post into that department class. And by doing that, everybody in that department will have access to everybody's assignments. It becomes an assignment repository, so nobody has to start anything from scratch. And I find that to be a great way to be collaborating with your peers, especially when everybody is going to be working in different factions at a distance and in a face-to-face -face environment. That's so true, Joe. And another great place to collaborate with peers, especially peers that might not necessarily even be at your campus, is social media. So there are a multitude of Facebook groups for different topics, all discussing distance learning and education, as well as looking up hashtags on Instagram and Twitter, like distance learning or remote learning. And people are posting resources, posting best practices, posting examples, all sorts of different things that you can use to continue to collaborate and also get the perspective of other educators either in your state or around the nation to see what's happening and what's working elsewhere. In addition, um, I would suggest if you are a part of an education-based union, either for your state or for your campus, reach out to them to see if they have any um, assistance available as well. I know in the state of California, the California Teachers Association created a Facebook group just for the sole purpose of remote and distance learning. And that's been a great place where people are collaborating and discussing um, the different things that are coming down from districts and the state. So taking advantage of that social media network. Absolutely, Ari. And we know you are a social media master. Now, when we are planning to hand out assignments to our students face-to-face -face or digitally, we want to make sure that our students are uh, becoming an active participant in this assignment, an active participant in this learning. What are a few things that teachers are going to have to think about when assigning assignments through a digital platform or a digital LMS? We really want to be sure that when we're doing distance learning, it doesn't default to things that are simply the typed document. It's so easy to just kind of lean and rely on the word processing. And I would say, again, as someone who came from the classroom, if you're just starting out, you might do that for the first few weeks and know that that's okay if that's where you are. If you are though, in a place where you're comfortable to try something new that maybe you haven't done before, we highly recommend bringing in some type of student choice for them to express their learning. And this is K through 12 through high ed. Um, I'm thinking back a few years ago, 
from one of my master's programs I did and just the excitement I had when that professor gave me the opportunity to express my learning in a way that was not simply an essay. We actually got to create an authentic product and be able to show different ways of expressing our thoughts. And so options for this that I would recommend considering video and audio responses. This is something that you've been hearing us say a theme throughout. Um, whiteboarding, you might have also heard the terms mind mapping or sketch noting. All of that means the ability to, in free form with visuals and a combination of text, express your thinking. And that can be in a brainstorming capacity, or it might even be for some type of summative share out. Those are some absolutely great points, Jennifer. Are there any other things we need to be thinking about for our students when giving them assignments in this digital format? We want students to also get creative and hands-on. So not feeling like every single activity needs to be tied to some type of web 2.0 tool. You can deliver digital instructions to students to do some type of activity using materials at home so they can be hands-on. So something to really think about. We wanna give the right tool for the right project. Now, we know that Microsoft and Google have some really great interactive tools, Microsoft Whiteboard, Google Jamboard, and a variety of different Web 2.0 tools to really get creative with students. Are there any applications outside of Microsoft and Google which can be really good for student innovation, creativity, and student voice? Seesaw is another fantastic tool. Not only does it allow you to do all the things mentioned, but it's also a great way for students to create a portfolio. So that's another um, thing that could be used for an assessment. Absolutely. Portfolios are a great way for students to archive their information and reflect on what they have learned. And Seesaw is a phenomenal way for students to learn how to create learning artifacts and archive what they have done in class. It's also a great way to train students on how to act on social media. This is because students can then post things that they are taking pictures of in class and get comments from other students about what they had posted. Students can instantly then showcase that they know what they post affects other students. Jennifer and Ari, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. And we really appreciate you being education strategists with a mind and spirit for education. Thank you again to our guests, Jennifer Brown and Ari Flowelling, education strategists with CDWG. If you'd like to get into contact with Jennifer or Ari, or any of the other education strategists through CDW, we have given all their contact information in the show notes below. If you would like any additional information of any of the products or services we talked about here on this podcast, please contact your account manager for any inquiries regarding these services. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget, until next time, it always seems impossible until it's done. I'm Joe Marquez, and it's been a pleasure learning with you today.